98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bigly Blast. Sunday might look, sound, and feel like a big green nightmare, and that is because Eagles fans are loud, passionate, relentless, brash, and they will rub it in our faces if the game gets lopsided. You can bet on that. Which means this Sunday could mark rock bottom for the home field disadvantage currently plaguing the Cardinals in Glendale. Seriously, this has got to stop. This is becoming an embarrassment to every the lack of urgency, the seven-game home losing streak, the lukewarm bipartisan buzz that now serves as the soundtrack, the business fans who only buy Cardinals tickets to sell Cardinals tickets, the post-game shrugs, and the vague promises to do better. It's enough to make you sick. But none of this is on the fans. This is on the team. Give this town a compelling, winning, exciting product, and you will have a home field or home court advantage fail and this town does not have time for your mediocrity or your incompetence or your shenanigans so this Sunday is a frightening proposition for the Cardinals it's a potential reminder of how far we have fallen in our game day passion and how we perceive attending a football game at State Farm Stadium but it's also a great opportunity because taking down the unbeaten Eagles is going to require a lot of skill and a little bit of magic and magic is exactly what has been missing in that stadium for too long. All right, the Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations and one great experience. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. No, no, I don't. I mean, I, I don't really uh, make much of a thing about it. Um, to me, it's, you know, it, it, like I said, last year's last year. Obviously, you know, this year we're, uh, we, have, we have yet to win at the crib. But, I mean, uh, we, like I said, we got a great opportunity this week. Win at the crib. Got to win at the crib. Got to win at the crib. <laughs> Yeah, what do you? What's your take on I, this? I mean, you you've been here a while. You've been in this town a while. You, I, you've I, seen this home field advantage come and go. I wish I wish I had one. I mean, if I if I could if I had the answer, Steve and Mike and Cliff would probably have me over for dinner. Uh, I would hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> six months extension yeah. coming your way. Yeah, right. or six yeah, year right. extension, yeah, I should say. Right. That's right. It really makes no sense. You you could you could maybe look back at the schedule and say, well, okay, well, who have they played? To try to maybe justify it, and outside of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Matthew Stafford yeah. and the Rams, there have been there have been winnable games. I mean, Carolina was not a good football team last year; they whipped the Cardinals. There, Seattle was not a good football team last year, and not only that, the Cardinals had a chance to win the division in the final week of the season in the crib, in the crib, <laughs> and they lose to a to a bad Seahawks team. Uh, they lose to the Colts on a Christmas night. NFL oh. kind of marquee, yeah. Everybody watching game where you're supposed to be theoretically big at, at your best, and it's just I they don't just don't play well. No, I, I mean don't. the 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 only and you can't really put your finger on on why. I mean it's a it's a hundred yard field, fifty yeah. yards wide. I mean go out there go out there and play better. The only ridiculous and maybe it's not ridiculous but the only ridiculous theory i've heard bick i don't know if you've heard the same one is that someone once told me that and again i'm not 
agree with this. I'm just throwing it out there to the masses, and everybody we can chuckle about it when you hear it. But the only theory I heard is that because they hold training camp in that building, mm-hmm. and every player hates training camp, when they walk into that building, there's nothing special about it. There's nothing special yes. about it, and they have bad training camp vibes. Yes. There's like bad. There's bad juju in the building yeah. because they equate being on that I, field count, with, with crappy ass training I don't, camp. I don't know counter. I, no, nobody. I don't know if I believe it, but I don't discount it. Uh, the counter to that is uh, no one really played in training camp for the oh, Cardinals, so oh, oh, I don't right. know what you're talking about. Okay, so th- that that is a theory, all right? There's also the theory that just th- the the mixed elements in the crowd just sort of unplug any ambiance at all. And so it's just kind of a dull haze that you're playing in. And there might be a, an odd random roar here. There might be a, a reaction here or there, but it's just nothing. It's no fuel. And and because something has to explain these road home splits of Cliff Kingsbury, the last theory, which I think makes the most sense to me, is something that Matt Stark said last year, that if you look at the game uh, planning and the play calling, they're much more physical and much more buttoned up on the road. They get much too cute and much too aeratish at home. Whether that's comfort zone because you're not going up against a rival crowd or or you think or you think or you're in a false sense of security. That's so interesting. Maybe, but the that that air that air ready type approach is not showing up on the scoreboard. 21 points against the Packers, 10 against the Panthers. Right. Because they because it's 16, not good. 16 yeah. against the Colts. Right. So you would think conventional wisdom for a, a head coaching a head coach and his staff that makes a whole lot of money would figure out that this this is not the way to go mm-hmm. so I, I i don't i don't know what the answer is then you flip it and you might say well maybe the road team is coming into this with greater focus because they're on the road and you see how the road benefits the cardinals and maybe the road is benefiting opponents for the very same reason you know they stay in the hotel the night before and then you know, what are they doing in the morning? Do they do they do, do guys sneak home and spend time with the family? Like, is there anything there? Is, do they is, still stay at the hotel? Do we know that because they don't do training camp there anymore? Yeah, I thought I thought on game nights, even home games, okay. they they get those guys in the hotel. That's called the Hollywood Brown uh, clause. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoops! Um, uh, hey, I'm late to the game. <laughs> yeah. a, I gotta get there fast. Traffic was crazy. Hey. <laughs> Did you, want, did you have something else, Tim? But no, I was going to say, but I, but I'm just wondering, like, if there's anything in their pregame home prep did that can be else? that can be altered. Well, I don't want to play. This. <laughs> wait, wait, what did, I was going to play a soundbite, but we'll be out of time. Anyway. All right, save it till we get back to the Cardinals. Coming back on the other side, LeBron James, the Phoenix Suns, the Lakers. They played last night. We'll tell you what's important. That's next. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. All right, they played a basketball game in Vegas last night. The Suns and the Lakers. Suns came back and won. That does not matter. It's preseason basketball. Tim and I are in alignment on this. Results do not matter. Um, Anthony Davis was a late scratch, though. Imagine that. Shocking. <laughs> 
Ah, He's yeah. in now. Yeah. Preseason may not matter, right? But AD is in is in midseason he form. Sure <laughs> is. Oh. He sure is. Street clothes. <laughs> all right. Uh, two things we do want to, to get into here. First of all, it's the LeBron James factor. LeBron James for a stretch of last night's game looked really good. He had a block at the rim on a Mikael Bridges dunk attempt that was otherworldly, and he he's doing that at age thirty seven. And Vinny and I had a conversation um, about the fact that this coming season. LeBron James is going to take one of the most coveted, if not the most coveted, individual record in basketball. He's going to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Not a lot of people dig LeBron James. He's as polarizing as a figure as you're going to find in the NBA for a lot of different reasons. Um, There are people in the political arena who do not like him. There are fans who do not like the Lakers who do not like him. There are people like me who do not like the way he's ushered in this age of empowerment and and just looked at, 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 you know, Hey, I'm I'm doing me, and that and I don't care about you. I'm getting mine. That kind of attitude, that that kind of, I, I don't know, it, it, it's rubbed people the wrong way. What do you think of LeBron James and the way we, as a sports audience, are going to handle that record when he gets it? Whoa! All right. Good thing we got another hour and 40 minutes here because we're going to need it to uh-huh. break uh-huh. down the project. Uh-huh. And when Tim Ring says that, he means it. Well, seven minutes. man. <laughs> Love you, Tim. Listen, I I I agree with a lot of that. Well, what you were saying. There's a there's a lot about LeBron James that I don't particularly care for. Um, we can talk about China. We can talk about super teams. We can talk about pretending to read books. Uh, we, can, we can talk about. <laughs> I forgot about we can, that. We can talk uh-huh. about. We can talk about a lot of things that I just believe are disingenuous when it comes to LeBron James. The faking injuries and, and all that stuff. Right? And and I, I always joke about when his LeBron's production team put out an eight part series about LeBron James, and the promo was LeBron and his friends watching the documentary of LeBron on the screen, and then the promo was like LeBron and his friends watching that and laughing about LeBron. I'm like, what is more LeBron? An eight-part series about LeBron with a promo that has LeBron on on TV, watching LeBron on TV, laughing and talking about LeBron. I mean, that that just sums up LeBron James to me uh, in a nutshell. Having said all that, Look, there's no denying, obviously, the greatness on the basketball court. To me, he's firmly in that two-hole now, and some people want to put him in that one hole. That's fine. I, I disagree Morons. with that. Uh, they're, they're, you're, you're wrong. I, I think that's— You hear I, that, Jarrett? I think no, it's— uh, You're wrong. Not the first time you call me a moron. So. <laughs> well, some, listen, some, uh-huh. of the, some of this is just generational warfare, and I get it, and I know the ge- younger generation wants to have their guy uh, as, as the best player of all time, but believe me, if you're old enough to have seen them both play, you probably will, will, will slot LeBron number two. And he's going to be the NBA's all-time leading scorer, and I, I just think what— and I was talking about it earlier this morning, Big, that watching that game last night, preseason or not, but you watch the first half and you got a guy like Devin Booker on the court and Chris Paul, a Hall of Famer, there was no question at the age of 37 in season number 20 who the best basketball player was in that game last night. And it's still LeBron James. Yeah. And I'm starting to wonder if he's still, like this year, you know, still not maybe one of the best players in the NBA. I don't know if he's at the top still. He just can't. But he's recently but he's right. stay healthy for a full season but he's playing at that level. He's yeah. right there still. 
that's the key. I mean, if he if he is as good as like he he had what thir- he led the league in scoring last year, right? Mm-hmm. But he can't stay healthy. That's that's he's the whole key. Him and Anthony Davis's health to the Lakers actually being a challenge in the West and a team the Suns actually have to worry about. Yeah, because LeBron. The reason I one of the reasons I think he is better than Jordan is he is at the top a lot longer than Jordan was. Like okay. He, yeah. All right. So so there's that with LeBron James. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be a, a, a milestone event. And then the last event of his career is going to be him signing with whatever team drafts his son, which is going to be another circus. And. Can't wait to see that facetiously. <laughs> All right. Um, here's the other thing that you can take away from preseason basketball games. It, it, last night, for what it's worth, the bench looked a lot better than they did against the Adelaide 36ers. So it quelled some of that fear. And yet, Mikhail Bridges had a rougher night offensively. And the DA thing. DA tried a three-point attempt last night. No arc on the shot at all. Was not pretty. Had the fumbles last night. If DA does this... He's disengaged if a little he, bit. Yes. If he does this game on, game off, now that he's got a bag, ain't going to fly. Had the case of the fumbles last night. Took a lot of fadeaways. Shot three for 12. But, you know, listen, Devin Booker had 22 points. He shot, he shot the ball poorly as well. The Suns, they won the game. But again, the the way their their starting five was playing and Cam Johnson going out, I mean, I would think that if LeBron played the second half, you know, they, they probably don't win that game. But again, it doesn't matter; it's preseason. But looking at individual performances, Mikel didn't shoot the ball well, and but one yeah. of the reasons the bench did look better is because Dario Saric played and he didn't play in the first game. Okay, but let's let's lock down the focus on Da for a minute here because why is it that this guy, whenever he gets teams and matchups that he should dominate, why does he? more frequently disappoint in those games because that was the root cause of the anger at, uh, at him in that series against the Mavericks dude they got nobody to check you you just you just had a really good series against the Pelicans you got this team that's waiting to be feet and you're not doing it last night Anthony Davis isn't on the floor who's guarding him Wenyans Gabriel and again, when he, Wendons? when he, Gabriel. when he, when he, even when he caught the ball cleanly, which he had trouble doing, he, he just went to the fadeaway. Mm-hmm. And not that he, he can knock that shot down. He just wasn't knocking it down last night, but you'd like to see him but get something going to the basket. Take it to the rim. Yes. So, so, I know. Right. I understand. So it, it's, it's this, if he's going to do this after getting this contract, this is going to get ugly for him. And here's the thing. It's preseason. Right. Of course, it's only preseason. But after the way the offseason went for DeAndre Ayton, even though it's preseason, you would think he would want to come out and just like shut everybody up okay, and shut down like every would, na- narrative. Just like he'd want to feel that way when he was stiffed by the contract by the former owner or the owner who's attempting to sell the team. Right. Well, let, doesn't let's, make any sense, does it? Let's just forget. The, let's just forget last night's game. Never, right. but it never let's, happened. Yes. Let's just evaluate DeAndre yes. Ayton off of his time in the league. Let's evaluate him off of last year. Now that you've got the contract, his coaching staff, his head coach, is absolutely going to demand more of him. His team is going to demand more of him. There is no question, Bick, after that Game 7, the Suns had in their minds, James Jones, Monty Williams, that they were ready to move on from DeAndre Ayton. But they were not going to make a bad deal. Mm-hmm. They could not get a deal to their liking, and they certainly were not going to get him walk away, let him walk away for nothing. So they end up matching. Now he's back. So now you have a almost forced marriage that Monty Williams doesn't exactly seem to be embracing. No. Off the top. No. So it's almost like, okay, 
Fine. You're back. I'm your coach. Show me. There's no. There, there's going to be no coddling. We're not going to sit down and talk. You know, I'm not going to. The kid gloves are gone. Done with it. Go out there and do what you're supposed to do. You got paid. Now you got it. Now. So now you got to grow up. Right. Basically, that's what it is. The attitude of Monty Williams towards towards DeAndre Ayton is quite something. It's it's so unlike the Monty Williams that has been portrayed for the last couple of years. The humble servant leader, the Montyisms, the the, mo- whole, the molder of men. It's, right. It's almost, Bick. You know, it's it's worse. And you've heard this before with with anybody. Like, what's worse than anger? Indifference. Yeah. He almost seems indifferent to DeAndre Ayton yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm the coach. He's the yeah. player. Yeah. I coach no, I him. I coach to, a lot I of guys. I need to talk to him. I don't yeah. know what do I need uh, to talk to him about. Yeah. Yeah. Just, That's uh, the beginning of the end of any relationship. Yeah. Indifference. Yes. And next thing we know, they're each hiring their own divorce lawyers and uh, splitting <laughs> up their global, you know, the, incomes. Yeah. <laughs> And then the uh, the and other now, thing. And now Giselle's not even wearing her wedding ring. Just oh, you read about that. Is yeah, that right. I just want I just want Tom Brady. All kidding aside, to please start eating again. Man, he does not look. I know. I just I, I did hear it. somebody he can't said move like his the, mouth. Tim, he'd like to, but he can't. Oh, <laughs> the benefit of all this is that it does open up another uh, finger for another championship ring for oh, Tom Brady. But, okay. Um, oh, wow. Uh, just one last thing that, that came from the game was campaign and Cam Johnson both left with injuries. Yeah. No update. The Suns are off today, so we won't hear anything on that till tomorrow. Okay, well, thank you, Jarrett. I appreciate that. All right, coming back on the other side, we're going to turn our attention our attention back to the Arizona Cardinals. Shotgun or under center? A lot of talk about what the Cardinals need to do offensively to get this season right. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. If you watch this offense right now early on in games, there's no symmetry, there's no detail, there's no rhyme or reason. I don't need, like, oftentimes we have these conversations of, well, we lack an identity. I don't know if they actually know what their identity can be. Mm-hmm. It's not just, well, DeAndre Hopkins isn't there because Zach Ertz is playing good and Hollywood Brown is playing good. I think they're lacking such of an understanding of... Well, um, this is who we are from a scheme. This is our tree, so to speak. And these are the things we want to do, both their principles, but also building off of it. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Thursday. That the voice of Dan Orlovsky. Uh, they had a very interesting conversation on ESPN, a very, uh, very X's and O intense kind of conversation, but one that certainly resonated with football fans in Arizona and other places. And that basically is what exactly is this team's identity? What is their offense? And and what can they do to become a little more consistent offensively, to be able to start games and be good at it? It's, it's really confounding and it's really kind of unmasked to me, this idea that Cliff Kingsbury is an offensive guru because if he were, these scripted games, these scripted starts would look a lot better than they do. If he were, they'd have an identity four they'd years a, in. Four years, exactly. I think most offensive head coaches, especially those that were that came with some renown or some reputation, I, I think four years in, you would have a very clear idea what they stand for and what their teams are going to look like. You, you know when you face Andy Reid what you're going to get. 
You're gonna get you're gonna get some trickeration. You're gonna get a lot of stuff. Uh, so I, so this is a question now because people are wondering why are you why are you in shotgun so much? Why are you not under center a little more often? Why don't you take advantage of Kyler Murray's athleticism a little more strategically than you do? And why can't you start games faster? So a lot of questions facing the offense to find to find something more than just a random victory by by scrambling and playing well in a second half. Those scripted plays clearly are not working. They have not done anything on their opening series of any game this year. In fact, they've 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 punted all all four opening series. They've scored not only no points in the first quarter this year. They've only scored thirteen points total in the first half. Yeah. Um, so. It looked to me like, again, and Matt Rule's a good defensive coach, and he's obviously faced Cliff uh, th- a few times in the NFL now, a couple times in college. But it looked like, you know, until that game flipped to the Cardinals in the second half, mm-hmm. the reason why the Cardinals were down in that game at the half, it looked like Rule was a step ahead of the Cardinals defensively every time. I mean, you think of that that jet sweep to, to Rondell Moore. I mean, right. Brian Burns, my yeah. goodness, was in the backfield waiting for that. Yeah. So they, looked, they knew it was coming. They, they, but it looked like they were, they knew it was coming more times than not on every single play, and that's why the Cardinals were, were held to three points in that, in that first half. But that's happening far too often against not only defensive-minded coaches like Matt Rule, but it's happening against everybody. And then right. you look, you look at the uh, the deterioration of production in the second half of seasons under Cliff Kingsbury that's an issue because it speaks to teams kind of figuring out what they're doing and stopping it and it's not just shotgun that Orlovsky was talking about yesterday which which is accurate but even the the deep dive that the Washington posted on the offense last week they're among the last in the league in using two tight ends, among the last in the league in play action, among the last in the league in motion. And so it becomes a very predictable, easy defense to defend. These yeah. are not my words. No. These are the words of NFL personnel people and defensive players that are on television now yeah. talking about it. And all those things also lead to a lack of big plays. And the biggest frustration for me and a lot of people is that Cliff and Kyler were supposed to be a perfect match. Yeah. This was his, you know, his coach, his quarterback, the perfect match. And Orlovsky also went on to say that that's not really working out that way. Kyler, while fits Cliff's system, I really don't believe can thrive in Cliff's system. And I often say that in the league. This is the NFL. You should not fit anywhere. You should be in a place where you can thrive. I honestly believe Kyler would thrive way more in a Kyle Shanahan type of system. Because the, the premise of that is creating those throwing lanes that you're talking about key with the aspect of under center, play action pass, moving him. Right now, this feels like we're just going to go attack green grass, and if we see it the same way, great, and if we don't, quarterback go make a play. And at times it works because he's so talented, but that is not something that is reliable nor repeatable. And that's why you have success when the game turns into a sandlot game as of late for for Kyler Murray. Or in the case of the Panther game, the Cardinals got two very, very short fields. And the Cardinals took advantage of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this is and this is why when I when I said that stat earlier today that the stat going around that the Cardinals have the best offense in the NFL in the second half and the worst in the first half. Yeah, statistically that might be true, but this is I I don't think it's really that clear cut. I think there's just been a lot of there's been a lot of desperation now against Carolina in the second half. It did appear that they found a rhythm, and I think they found a rhythm because they never abandoned the running game, and and the running game was effective in a attacking the line of scrimmage, which I think softened up the defense a little bit. And, and so can you duplicate that? Well, I, I don't know if you can duplicate that against a good team. The thing is, is in people, a lot of people now have said that when the Cardinals are in shotgun, they're very limited in what they put on tape. So they're very easy to kind of shut down, especially when the game is not close. If the Cardinals get down a couple of scores, they're often at their worst trying to make up a deficit, which, again, doesn't seem to make sense with a quarterback capable of huge plays and a, and a, and a guy like Cliff Kingsbury at the helm here. They got, they've got to find a better, a better approach. And, you know, they talked about how they were going to try to change things up and how they start games. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's weird that you're still scrambling for a methodology in week five of year four. Well, a, a part of that Darren Orlowski conversation included Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears, a couple of former defensive players. And what they were saying is that when you're in the shotgun all the time, obviously it eliminates the ability to, to play action. And, it may, and they were talking as former NFL defensive players, how they love it. When a quarterback or a team is always in shotgun, because you can see everything in front of you, you know exactly what they're doing. Even when the quarterback hands the football off, it's very clear yep. what he's doing yep. with the football. There's no, there's no clandestine motion back there where you're kind of trying to figure out what's happening as a defensive player. And Clark was saying, even as a secondary guy, knowing what what's coming makes it very, very easy to defend. So again, these are the words of of guys that played the game, not a mm-hmm. couple guys on the on the radio no. acting like experts. I mean, I'm just listening to what these guys Same. are saying Same. and relaying it to our to our audience this morning. Well, so it's just it's it's very it's very concerning and and and, and Bick and Kyler's the, 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 I'm not calling them checkdowns but his I mean his his yards per play is not good this year. Historically, it's actually been very good and his passer rating before last week on on yards on balls traveling 11 yards or more downfield uh it was, it was staggering bad is 39.96. It's it's so they're just the the offense right now is just kind of stuck in this odd gear where it's just not effective in a conventional traditional manner consistent manner consistent right? manner yeah. that it just can't be let Kyler do his thing and and he'll bail us out there has to be something more sustainable to be a little more fair to the Cardinals in this. Let's see how it looks when Hopkins comes back. Mm-hmm. I would like. I would like to think suddenly everybody's Cliff is going to look like a better play caller. Kyler's going to look like a better quarterback. The offense is going to look like it knows what what it's doing. A, well, that's a, the hope. A lot more when Hopkins yeah, comes back. That is because, the hope because that's the whole deal when he got better players. All right, coming up on the other side, we'll have our final season visit with Derek Hall, CEO and President of the Diamondbacks. He is Tim Ring. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports. 98.7 FM. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the president... 
He's the president and CEO of your Arizona Diamondbacks. Hail to the chief. Derek Hall. The president. Yes, Derek Hall joins us 845 on Thursdays in season. Today is his last visit as we put a bow on this baseball season, try to make sense of what happened and what's coming. Hey, Derek, what's going on? Hello, Bick. I wish we were going to talk for another two or three weeks, but hopefully next year. And Tim, good to good to hear from you too, my friend. D Hall, uh, it was a good way to finish yesterday. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right, so let's let's yeah, fr- likewise let's frame this thing up. So to so to finish with seventy four wins, that's not a successful season. But from where you are coming from, it is. So what what are the what are the highlights? What are the lowlights? What what's important moving forward? Yeah, you, you said it. It's uh, it's not you know the best pizza you've ever had, but it's still good, right? <laughs> um, I think uh, looking at how we did, I think if if I had heard that we were going to win, you know, twenty two more games going into the season, I would have said sign me up. However, you know, I, if I'm a fan, I don't. I also don't want to hear me out there saying what a great season. You know, we won seventy four because you still nearly lost ninety. I mean, my expectations are still a lot higher, and I think uh, you know, had we been able to close out so many games that we had a lead in. We're probably talking about having another conversation next week, you know, after after some games. So, um, you know, we, we need to do a better job of, of finishing games and, and handing the ball over to the bullpen later in games and making sure that they can get it get it done. But uh, overall, yeah, I mean, having the young guys come up when they did and have such an impact and for them yesterday to have said, boy, if we could have gotten this thing started a little earlier, it may not have been too late. You know, we defined ourselves. We, de- we proved, you know, who we are, what kind of style of play we have. It, that's fun. That's a lot of momentum going into next year, and especially the way we finished that game yesterday. Derek, I had my I had my choice of bright spots to hit you with either Zach Gallen or the way some of those young outfielders played post All Star break through pretty much the beginning of September. I'm going to go with Gallen though because I think that that's a guy right there that you can build this pitching staff around. Obviously, what he did over that that scoreless streak stretch was nothing short of phenomenal your thoughts as the head of the organization what you have in that young man and how excited you guys are to have him part of this organization now going forward yeah it's a great question and, and I, tim i agree with you and i'm not i'm not trying to bail out you know i think of course we were excited about the young players that we've been telling our fans about for the last couple of years wait till these outfielders come up you know wait till some of this young talent comes up we still have lawler down there we still have fought down there J, um, you know halston down there so uh, ralston down there a lot of guys that haven't even made their way up yet so when you when you look at that um, whether it's next year that we see Walsh, I mean, we're going to see him in spring. We're going to see Lawler in, in the fall league right now. He's tearing it up. We, we hope to see Fott in, in spring as well. But in addition to the other guys that came up, and then I'll get back to your, you know, to your question, but with Henry and Nelson and Jamison, but then you look at the leaders in that, in that rotation and, you know, Merrill Kelly had a phenomenal season, but what Gallen did and taking over the, the new record for consecutive innings, scoreless innings in this organization, I remember watching Webb, you know, every game and, and my jaw dropped. I mean, I just couldn't believe how dominant he was. Right. And, and Gallen outdid him. And, and it was just such an amazing feat. Uh, and, he, and he was so solid all year. So, yes, thrilled that he's here. You know, you look back to that that trade, and it was one of those trades that helped both teams. I mean, the Marlins ended up with a very good everyday player. We ended up with a, a top-of-the-rotation type guy. 
and he really sets the tone. And we always talk about how contagious starting pitching can be, and he's been that guy that sets the tone for the rest of the rotation. Watching a couple of different major league hitters try to bunt with two strikes tells you just how incredible Zach Gallen has been this year. <laughs> All right, let me ask you about Madison Bumgarner because it, this yeah. is this is an interesting thing. Can Madison Bumgarner, who is not chronologically old, can he reinvent himself with what he has and be a Madison Bumgarner 2.0 and, and find and and be successful and be a functioning member of a rotation by reinventing himself? We've seen it before. You've got a great pitching coach now. What are the odds of that happening? Yeah, I, I think for all those reasons, Vic, it, it can happen. And we saw it happen here before with was that cranky, um, you know, and he, he did reinvent himself for sure. But Bumgarner also showed, you know, he, he showed signs of life. I mean, Bum was getting his velocity back up. He, he dominated his start at Dodger Stadium, where I know typically, you know, not too many people have had success, especially these last couple of years. So I think we were starting to see some pretty good signs. Um, so we, you know, it's there, right? And and it, no one wants to do better than he does. No one's more competitive than he is. No one has the track record or experience on our staff and most staffs in baseball that he's had. And you look at his postseason runs, the success he's had in the postseason, whether he came out of the bullpen or if he started a game. You know, he was he was as good for for a time as anybody in the game. So he is as competitive, and no one wants to turn it around more than him. Hey, Derek, question about. Um you know, the specter of the Dodgers being in this division. Look, there's nothing you can do about it. They're not going anywhere. Right. Um, we know the payroll. We, we know what the, the talent is right now. We know their willingness to spend and consistently try to get better. What's it like trying to, to refortify your own club, knowing that you know, that monster is also in the division. And, you know, the Padres are, are pretty good, too. It's, it's almost like you're training for a heavyweight fight. But at the end of the day, you know that 23-year-old prime Mike Tyson's in the other corner when you, when you get up there. I, I, I mean, I, it's I, tough, I totally man. Agree. But I think what, what we saw was a, a really fearless young group that even though they walked into loud and crowded Dodger Stadium at the end of the year, they fought, and they weren't intimidated. They were fearless, and I think that's a good sign. So, I mean, that's we've said it. We have to commit to who we are. We can't worry about others. We have to develop from within. We have to do well when it comes to the draft or signing free agents or international signings, and, and we've been doing that. And our firm system has really strengthened. Then when those guys come up, they can't be intimidated. They've got to be able to fight them. Now, yeah. is it better that we're only going to face the Dodgers 13 times than, than 19? Yeah, you know, that's a good thing, right? But, but be, be careful what you wish for because you're now going to be playing the Rays and you're going to play the, the Yankees and the, the Red Sox. You're playing everybody, Toronto. So um, it's still going to be tough, but but I think if if we continue to do what we have to do and build it from within, you know, we can compete with anybody, and that's what we're going to have to do. I mean, that's who we are. Um, it, it's also a point of pride for our fans when they're watching guys come up. We know that. If you do it the right way and these guys come up and they contribute and they get you back into the postseason, there's so much excitement behind that because they're actually your guys. And there's more interest right now from our fans and how our guys are doing in the minor leagues and how they're going to do in the fall league. Like Lawler, as I said, is already tearing it up, which is so much fun. They're loving Jordan Lawler. That's exciting for fans. They can't wait for him to come up, too. <laughs> now, I was going to ask you about Jordan Lawler because, like you said, it's not taking him long to put up some numbers. He's got a couple homers. He had nine total bases in his first ten plate appearances. How fast can you fast-track a kid like that who's only 19 but obviously your future at shortstop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think he's showing that he's, uh, you know, he, he's ready and determined. 
I, I think we've been more hesitant in the past to not bring guys up. You saw how quickly we brought guys up this year. I mean, Corbin Carroll, it was, do we really do it? And yeah, he was comfortable and he was productive. I, you know, Gonzo heard from his kid who's, who's in the fall league as well. And Jacob said, you know, dad, you guys have this Jordan Lawler playing and he doesn't belong in the fall league. And I, Gonzo tells me, I said, uh oh, why? He said, no, he thinks he belongs in the big leagues, right? So, I mean, when you hear that, and he had just faced him, you think, wow, that's, that's cool. So to have that kind of talent, and that, that's what we had heard about Corbin and what we saw in Corbin for the last you know, few years as well. I mean, some guys just, they stand out. They, they know they belong at the big league level. So he's not far, Bick. He's not far at all. All right, Derek, thank you so much for your time, man. We look forward to catching up with you down the road as you try to get this team playoff ready for next year. You got it. I appreciate everything, Dan. And Tim, good to talk to you as always. And I'll find Ben somewhere and tell him thanks, too. Yeah, enjoy, the, enjoy the off-season. I got season a couple on... ideas where you might be able to find him, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I think right. you're right. Be and well, Tim, bro. I will. But remember, there's yeah. no off-season. It's just our season without games. Here we yeah, go. We're that, getting ready. Oh, right, come on. Exactly. You're, you're on the yacht traveling the globe. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. It's a See super yacht. But yes. There you go. Right. All right. He's thanks, Derek man. Hall, CEO, president of the Diamondback. Always good stuff. All right, 9 o'clock hour coming up. You know what that means. Some time for social studies. Hey, right right around the corner. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring, and the crew. You're listening to Arizona Sports 98.7 FM.